Hey, you're just starting the Trek Off podcast now, so it's a good time for you to subscribe to a new podcast, too. The Totally Super Podcast is me and my good friend Arthur reviewing every single superhero movie ever made. That's right. It's called Totally Super. It's put out by Geeks Radio. It's like Trek Off, but for superhero movies. Maybe not quite so dirty, but... It's still fun. So check out Totally Super. Search for it right now. Whatever you're listening on right now, whatever you found Trek Off on, just use that to find Totally Super and subscribe. Okay, enjoy Trek Off. It's time for Trek Off. Set phasers to love. Welcome to Trek Off. My name is Justin. Um, so today, uh, as I mentioned uh, before, about a month ago, the last time we posted a Star Trek uh, Trek Off podcast is that uh, Alexia is getting her recording situation worked out. Uh, had a little bit of a snag in her ability to record uh, remote, which is the way we normally record. She record. She lives in one place, and I live in another place. So. We are not able to record remote right now. I've talked to her. We're trying to get it worked out. Um, we want to do one over the phone, maybe, but we know that nobody really wants to hear like like. Hello, welcome to Truck Off. So, uh, so we're going to be doing this solo this week. I'm trying an experiment. I'm hoping that it's working. Uh, we are going to be. I'm live streaming right now on Facebook. I'm doing Facebook Live, hoping that people will chime in and give me opinions about science fiction, about Star Trek, about Star Wars, about Ready Player One, which I've watched about a million times now, about uh, anything that is in sort of the sci-fi zeitgeist right now. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Right now, I can only see Jeff Forsyth and and, and Vince Calora are watching the live stream. I'm not going to spend the whole time just calling out names because that would be boring for those of you who are listening in the future. Uh, at the, we So right now, it is the end of August, beginning of September. It's actually the beginning of September in 2018. And the kids just went back to school. So over the course of the summer, I have not been able to do any as much of the personal sci-fi watching as I normally would have been able to do. Uh, normally, I try and get in a couple things every week b- between Star Trek and between uh, doing the Totally Super podcast where I watch all sorts of um, superhero movies. I've not been able to watch uh, as much as I would normally be able to. I do have to give a co- shout out to my Aunt Mary who has joined. Uh, anybody who's watching the show right now, again, the whole podcast is not going to be calling things up. Uh, uh, Action Vance. Oh, now I've called you by your mortal name? You have a mortal name? I'm sorry. Action Vance. Uh, have I checked out Upgrade? Yes, my very first question. Good, I'm glad. Uh, this is coming from Jeff. I will just call out first names or Action Vance, who is awesome. Action Vance. Uh, Jeff Forsyth asks me, have I checked out Upgrade? It's so interesting you would ask that because I watched Upgrade, the movie Upgrade, literally two nights ago. I was so impressed by this film. For those of you who haven't seen Upgrade, minor spoilers, and I won't tell you how it ends, but Upgrade is an independent film that was shot for about four to five million dollars, and it's by the co-writer of Saw, um, who uh, directed what I think one of the Insidious movies, which he made for almost nothing, and then Upgrade made about 23, 20, or, or rather, they made the opening window 23 or 24 million dollars um, off of barely any budget for uh, for the Insidious movie that he made. So he decided to make a follow-up upgrade, which was going to be kind of a sci-fi actioner that really bombed at the box office. It didn't do really, really well. So um, 
uh, as Action Vance says, upgrade, you mean super cool tech Venom for three quarters of the movie until it's the Matrix? It was hella cool. I'll tell you why. The plot of Upgrade is essentially this. Take the plot of The Crow, where there's a man, he's out with his wife in a, in a not too far in the future future. And his wife is killed in front of him by a series of technopunks who have guns that can shoot out of their hands. He is paralyzed. And a very, very rich sort of Steve Jobs sort of character implants something in the back of his neck that can control his body, making his body super strong, super fast, giving undoing the paralysis and putting in his head the, the voice of an AI who speaks to him and helps him solve his wife's murder. Now, if there's fridging at the beginning of the movie, so fridging is something we've talked about a lot, fridging being the concept of uh, brutalizing female characters in order to motivate male characters. It's uh, the biggest problem with the crow. Then, yeah, I would say that that is problematic. And I will be the first to call out that that I wish that was not a problem in the film. But if you're able to go past that, the film is so fun as a a revenge fantasy and who doesn't love a good revenge fantasy film, but also as an idea of of sort of an anti-hero superhero origin story with twists and turns that, that I don't want to say it doesn't go where you think it's going to go. It goes places that you may or may not expect it to go, but the ride is crazy. Um, the lead character over the course of the film uh, it gets into dire cir- circumstances, and when he gets in dire- into dire circumstances, the AI in the back of his neck takes over and makes it so he like can fight and and move at incredible blinding speed. Um, they can turn off pain receptors. Uh, uh, Action Vance saying, "Let's confuse people and make him a, a Tom Hardy lookalike." And get- so, yes, do you want to say it's a low budget Venom because the guy looks like Tom Hardy? And he is uh, given a voice in his head that allows him to be an antihero. Yes. Now, I'll be honest about Venom. So we're going to make a, a tra- change from Upgrade to Venom. But I will say first about Upgrade. If you haven't seen it, it's worth a rent. Um, it's you know $5 to rent. I don't think it's available on any of the streaming services yet, like Netflix. But... I absolutely give it a would say give it a rent, if only because independent cinema like this deserves to be seen. This thing was made for next to nothing. This was made to I mean four to five million dollars, which is yes, it's a lot of money in real person terms, but for an action movie, that's close to nothing. And to create the world that they created, the action they were able to do, the innovative camera work they were able to pull off. In terms of supporting independent film, I want this film to be supported, not because I necessarily wanted to have a sequel, although a sequel to this film would be amazing, and I want to see that, but I want to see more films like this. There has been a a, a lessening of these low-budget actioners that we used to see in the 80s and 90s that I used to love to see you would you know the what would now I mean I don't know how much the original Highlander cost but the 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 cheaper sequels to that a lot of the stuff that you would just go get in the action section of your local blockbuster or you would catch on you know like like the early Schwarzenegger work and and the in between um Stallone stuff before like he started doing high higher budget stuff again I am pleased to see and and it's worth noting that this would not be a thing that you could have done as well 10 years ago. But with $5 million, I mean, guys, with $5 million, do you know what I could do with $5 million? We made the Ninjas movies, not a not a one of them, costs really more than, let's say, $25, when all is said and done, $1,000. And one of them, and I won't say which, cost less than 10 
Can you imagine what we'd be able to pull off with $5 million? So that's huge for a filmmaker in terms of my side. But I would say that that when you take an experienced filmmaker and you are, they already have the connections to know what to do. They have $5 million. You give that to a studio and a studio is barely pulling off a rom-com, but you give that to someone who is absolutely dedicated to making their vision come to life. And they're not necessarily being held to, to the rules of independent or rather of studio filmmaking. They're going to do better. Um, Jeff points out that production design was great and that Bloomhouse has an open deal for any genre film that can be made for 5 million and action Vance agrees. Um, yes, I love that Blumhouse is out there encouraging people to put these sort of films forward. Frankly, the only issue that I would ever have with something like that in terms of, hey, how does one raise $5 million to make uh, an action film of that nature unless you're already plugged into Hollywood already? Like, keeping in mind that this guy co-wrote Saw, so he already has that. The The idea of investing 4 to $5 million into a film, and I don't know how it's going to do, I would, I'm too... I'm too chicken shit to do that. Uh, but I would love to see more people do it. And if somehow we can get to the point where a million dollars in the hands of an indie action director, if you look at what people here in the Washington DC area have been able to pull off for, I mean, you look at the ninjas films, but not just that, what the other independent filmmakers have been able to do fat guy with the shotgun, which has our co-host Alexia in it. Um, can you imagine any of these people getting $5 million to really make their vision? It would be stunning. And I want to see more of those things because frankly, what I was doing when it came time to watch those films is I was scrolling through Netflix and scrolling through Amazon video to say, hey, what are we going to watch tonight? We almost watched The Equalizer. And if anybody's seen The Equalizer, who's seeing this right now, I'd love to get your thoughts on The Equalizer because it looks cool. It looks. Um, I heard Kevin Smith describe it as it's Batman without the cowl. So I'd love to see what people's thoughts on that were. We looked through a bunch of stuff and we weren't able to find something to watch. Uh, we're joined. I have to comment. I said I'm not going to call out everybody who joins the the chat, but right now we're joined by uh, Kelly Rowan, uh, um, the incredibly talented uh, wife of the Totally Super Podcast co-host Arthur Rowan. Uh, uh, Kelly and anybody who's joining us at this time, we are doing a live trek off off the cuff. If you have any thoughts about anything science fiction, anything out there in the zeitgeist right now, throw it out at me. Star Trek especially, I can ramble. I just finished a kind of a review of Upgrade. This is exactly how I wanted this to work. So anybody else who's watching right now, please join in because I'm going to continue rambling until somebody gives me some kind of topic. Um, let me take two minutes to say I just began the journey with my oldest son to watch Deep Space Nine. Now, anybody who listens to Trek Off knows that Deep Space Nine is my favorite of all of the Star Trek shows. Is it the best? I think objectively, yes, it's the best. You can argue with me about that. Next Gen did incredible things. The original series did incredible things. I actually think Discovery is doing really incredible things. Um, uh, and I am starting the journey into Deep Space Nine with my son, having just watched Ensign Row, um, which is 
required watching, if you're going to watch Deep Space Nine, you need to understand the plight of the Bajorans, or the Bajora, as they call it in the episode ends in a row with Michelle Forbes playing uh, the titular character in that show. Um, so we're starting the journey. Um, I will say that rewatching Ensign Row, it's so interesting seeing the display of being able to come to terms with the plight of freedom fighters slash terrorists, even at the time that that was coming out in the early nineties, we were still very much as a pre-war on terror, war on terror going on in the early nineties. The fact that they're able to take the story and put it in to that context is incredible. Okay. So, uh, Kelly Rowan, uh, has asked the question, okay, what do you recommend to people who have never delved into Star Trek? Where do they start? Forgive me if you've answered that. This is a great question because I think that there's a barrier to entry to Star Trek for anybody who for anybody who cannot make the leap to watching 60s television. Um, I am even having grown up watching. So when I started watching Star Trek, I guess it was probably, let's say mid eighties kind of, I remember watching it and I'm talk about this in the Trek off movie, like 85 or so. I remember watching enough of the original series to be excited that next gen was coming out. We are now in a time that is a full 30 years past that. And even when next gen was coming out in 87, the, the cardboard sets in the original series we're almost not doing it for me now. It's dated to the point where I think you need to love Star Trek before you can love that Star Trek. Now, this is apocryphal for me to say. I don't know anybody who is not a Star Trek fan who could sit down and go, okay, I'm going to sit down and watch The Cage or I'm going to sit down and watch Where No Man Has Gone Before and be able to get past how 60s it is. Now, it really helps that they did the remaster of the original series where, if anybody hasn't seen it, they took the original film negatives and they did a retransfer of them into 1080 HD as well as redoing all of the special effects in um, using CGI to match the original. So they didn't try and create totally brand new stuff, but at the same time, they took the original shots that were done with like little ships and stuff and, and put them in rendered in HD CGI. So I think that this, the show holds up. Well, I think the same holds true of Star Trek, the next generation, which looks beautiful in HD, especially the later seasons, how to get into Star Trek. Um, my recommendation, and this is me for anybody who wants to get into Star Trek. I think that you may need to start with the Star Trek 2009 movie. Um, and I know that's really, there are people who go, no, don't, that's not Star Trek. But that's the thing. If you haven't watched, oh, I shouldn't sit back. You need to be able to see me. If you haven't watched Star Trek and you start anywhere else thinking you're going to get Star Wars, that movie is Star Wars-y enough that by the time you get to the second and then the third movie, I think that it's starting to evolve into Star Trek to the point where you can go, hey, did you like those? There's a lot more that came before that. Now, if you are... If you are watching it with someone, let's say you're trying to watch it with someone, I think that you could go, you could like do a smattering of episodes where you hear the things you need to understand of the original series and of Next Generation. Then you could watch Deep Space Nine because Deep Space Nine is the most like current television. I wonder if you'd be able to watch, I really wonder if anybody has watched Discovery without having watched Star Trek before? Like, that's a really interesting question. Is, like... Here, I can just hold my phone up here. Is, is like, watching Discovery 
I don't know if it works without having seen any Star Trek before. Um, it might. I think one of the reasons that maybe lots of us who like Trek rebelled against it is because it was so different. But there's enough Trek in there. I It would be hard for me to to see if that would work. The other way that you could do it, I guess, if you wanted to introduce somebody to Star Trek who had never seen it before, is you could maybe start with a good Blu-ray viewing of Star Trek 2, 3, 4, and 6. Um, and just show them one episode of the original series so they get an idea. Maybe show them, you know, Balance of Terror. Show them, like, explain them who Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are. Show them Balance of Terror and then jump into Star... Or maybe just show them Space Seed and then jump into uh, jump into Star Trek 2 then Star Trek 3, then Star Trek 4, and skip 5, go to 6. You could do it that way. Um, but I don't think you could just sit down and show somebody who had never seen Star Trek before. I don't think you could show them the show from the 60s at this point. I think that they would find... Now, I guess the other question is, what's the age of your of your audience? Um, if it's someone my age and older who, you know, you know, if anybody in the world was able to ep- enjoy an episode of Barney Miller in the 80s, they will have no problem watching the original Star Trek. Um, if it's somebody who grew up on Knight Rider, they will love the original Star Trek. They'll be just fine with that or with Next Gen. You could do Next Gen from the very first episode, I think. But if you're taking someone who is really in, only into modern television, someone who's like, I love Lost, and even Lost is dated, right? That show ended, you know, what, 10 years ago? So, like, the, well, I loved even Buffy. Buffy, like, it's what is modern television anymore? Like, I love Game of Thrones. I think you think I don't think you're going to be able to watch Game of Thrones and then go back and watch, you know, young William Shatner and and be into it. I think that you need to. Um, I think you need to have been to it. Okay. Um. So, uh, there's been a clarification here. Kelly Rowan asks, okay, real talk. The age of the audience would be 35 because it's me. I've never really watched Star Trek anything, save some random episodes. So it'd be interesting if I watched Discovery. Um, and then your the, the comment, I lose the, I lose the comment as it pops out. So, um, if you watch Discovery, having not watched anything, I want to have you on the show. Um, by the way, Kelly Rowan, uh, who's in the highest rated episode of my, the old podcast ninjas versus you. And one of the top like 20, uh, in everything we've ever put up when she talks about, uh, acting in New York, uh, years and years ago. Uh, so lots of people probably have heard your voice on the show. Um, yeah, you could do that. I also think, I mean, for you personally, Kelly, I think that you might be able to start with the next generation and you have to accept that maybe, maybe Arthur could curate four or five episodes of the first season. And I could make a suggestion of four or five episodes of the second because next gen really is good. And you can really pick and choose the good ones because it's very like you could take next gen and boil it. It's got 170 episodes. You could boil it down to, you could boil it down to just maybe 80 key episodes, which are amazing. Watch the episode. If, if you want to know nothing else, if you have a basic understanding of Next Gen, look up the episode, The Inner Light, which will knock your socks off. It will just knock your socks off. You need to know nothing to understand the episode, The Inner Light. It will be a stunning like experiment for you to do having not seen. I don't think you need to see. It's just basically Patrick, uh, Patrick Stewart acting. Uh, so yes, 
If you watch Discovery first, I want to see if if it works. I want to see if Discovery works without any context. Because I wonder, one, I ended up loving to Discovery, but there was a huge barrier to entry for me because it wasn't the Star Trek I knew. It wasn't the Star Trek that I understood. So watching Discovery without having any of the preconceived notions, you might be able to be down for it. I can't think there's much that you really need to understand of discovery, um, to get into it. So I'm going to ask you, I give you homework, uh, uh, Kelly. Yes. The inner light, go watch it right now. Um, the inner light is in my opinion, the best episode ever of any of the Star Trek shows. So watch it. Uh, Melissa, uh, formerly of the Delta quadrant and of upper pylon two, uh, is, uh, chiming in and saying, hi, again, I said, I wasn't going to call out everybody who joined. I've seen amazing. My aunt, uh, Mary's been on my uncle Johnny's been on lots of people have been on, uh, Kim's been on, um, uh, Melissa's on. So many people are on right now, but uh, I want to give a, a shout out right now to Melissa, who's uh, watching me record this podcast. I would love to have you on the show sometime. I've missed hearing your voice talking about Star Trek. By the way, I want everybody to listen to Trek Off first. When we put out an episode, our show is the most important and the one you should watch, but, or the show you should listen to, sorry, but Upper Pylon 2 is incredible. And if you're a Voyager, uh, a Voyager watcher, whoever you people might be, it's worth watching uh, or listening to the old show, The Delta Quadrant. Interesting thing about podcasts, they exist out there even after they end. And it's really, really cool the way that that works. I have listened to entire shows after they finish recording. I sometimes, like right now, I'm still currently listening to Upper Pylon 2. Um, and that the way I listen to that show is I stop listening for like four months and then I binge listen. I did the same thing with the first like five seasons of the Delta Quadrant. And I know people are doing that with Trek off because I will get people saying, Hey, I'm on your sixth episode and I'm loving it. I'm like, Oh my gosh, the show really changes. And we're not, you know, all just like, you know, Hey, Hey, penis, penis. It's like, we're not just doing that all the time anymore. We're doing, the show has become something else, uh, which I'm very proud of. I'm proud of what the show used to be too. And we do that sometimes. I won't, don't want to say we never do that. Uh, and when Alexia is back, I guarantee you we will be doing that more. But the interesting thing about podcasts is that when you make something like this, when one day Trek Off ends, and I hope it never does, but there will be hundreds of episodes that other people will be listening to. So in terms of Star Trek podcasts, if you want to follow along, or I never followed along uh, with Voyager and with uh, what they're doing now with DS9, I never watched the episode before listening to the podcast. I just, I know them well enough that I could listen to their episodes that they do. They do an episode by episode review of those two shows. And I knew them well enough that I could hear them talk about it and argue about it and really enjoy it on its own. So it's very cool that it's out there. We're joined by superfan Mike Sandoval. Um, anybody who's joining us right now on the show, again, those of you listening on the podcast, bear with us. We are doing a live trek off where I'm running solo because Alexia is still working on getting her recording set up in a way that we were able to do, uh, which should hopefully happen this month uh, in September. So, uh, so if you have questions, please let us know so I can uh, bring in the show. Melissa asks... I apologize if it's already been asked, but do you anticipate, and if so, how, discovery or future trick ref reflecting current politics? For example, we know Enterprise was very affected by 9-11. And again, unfortunately, the way I'm watching this, I can't see much of the comment after that. I see the, the letters T-H-A and then there's a dot, dot, dot. And it doesn't let me see any more. Um, that's a really good question. Enterprise certainly was affected by 
9-11. And some people say the show became more conservative than maybe Gene Roddenberry would have liked. But it was in the zeitgeist at the time, was it not? Like, it's all we could think about afterward. You couldn't, you know, it's such a direct parallel, right? So anybody who's seen the third season of Star Trek Enterprise, the way that uh, the way that the third season begins is you've had everything happen in the second season, and then suddenly there's a massive attack on Earth that kills bunches and bunches of people from people we don't know who it is, and the Enterprise has to go and discover who created this massive loss of civilian life in a very 9-11 style attack and, and go stop them. And that is the, the third season of Enterprise, of course, reflecting the times. Uh, one, it's an incredible season of Star Trek in that they have a, an entire season that's just one story, and they've never done that before. DS9 did that to a lesser degree, but this was really like, like there was just one long season-long arc the way you might have on Buffy or something at the time. So do I think you could have something that reflects current politics? I think there are elements of Discovery that does reflect current politics. We talked about a few weeks back whether or not that's what um, the new Patrick Stewart show will do. Certainly Patrick Stewart holds strong beliefs. And one of the things that Next Gen did was comment in a very thoughtful way on current politics. It's very much what that was into. And so I, I know they've said that it's not going to be an extension of the next generation, but I got to imagine we need some Captain Picard right now. Right. Like, and I'm, and I don't care where you fall in the political spectrum as far as that is concerned. We need someone who can break it down and make us see the humanity in each other and the humanity of the, of situations and to be a moral center on the show. And I think that one of the things about Discovery is that Discovery is, is a wonderful show with flawed, very flawed characters. There isn't a true sort of Star Trek moral center in that show, which is fine. Which is it makes it a more intriguing show that you wouldn't have that. But I do think that we're in a time that that there doesn't seem to be a consensus on the what is wrong and what is right. For instance, I and I am hope that I am wise enough to present this in a way that offends as little as possible. But I totally understand the people who are bothered by the NFL players who are kneeling, and don't yell at me yet. Wait, till, hear me out before I say this. I totally understand the people who feel like respect the flag, the people who say, uh, by the way, uh, Kelly's leaving, but uh, Kelly, watch Inner Light first. Just do it right now, just before you go to bed. Anyway, um, I understand people who go respect the flag, the people who really hold the flag up as being important um, and see it as a reflection of the troops. And I understand the indignation that they may feel in watching those protests happen. And I understand that they are coming from a point of view of you are disrespecting the military and maybe we agree what, with what you're doing, but find another way because that flag was the last thought on some dying soldier's mind as they're lying in the mud, breathing their last. And don't disrespect that. Of all things, don't just disrespect that, please. And I get that. I also understand, and I happen to agree with, um, uh, the other side of that argument in that these are people who have everything. You have to keep in mind, these aren't just, you know, these aren't just high school players kneeling down or something, or, you know, people sitting down at the gym in the basketball game. Like, this is 
This is this, these are people who have everything, who could stand to lose all of the things that they have by doing it, but they feel like they have an opportunity as a voice in the public to do something so audacious, so headline grabbing that it draws attention to what they see as a larger problem, which is um, racism by by police officers against people of color, and. Whether or not you believe that's happening, I do believe that's happening. I think it's demonstrably true that that is happening. I, I, I come to a conclusion that I agree with where they are. I don't want this to become a political podcast because I've just argued both sides of the coin. I think that's the sort of thing that needs to be discussed in allegory where people on both sides are meant to understand each other through a less personally challenging thing. That's what Star Trek did so well originally. So for instance, there was the episode, and I wish I could remember the name of the episode, the original series where they dealt with racism. They came out in a time when there was, when, when we lived in a country fraught with racial tension, they decided, you know what, let's point out how silly racism itself is without outright condemning the people who are being racist, which is hard to do, right? That's hard to do. It's a hard thing to do that by making both sides racist against each other when in fact they are indistinguishable from one another. Half is left, half is right. And by doing that, their point was maybe someone who feels racist is going to watch this show and stop being racist because they go, oh, that is, oh, that that makes me not feel good about the views that I hold. Um, If Star Trek can do anything well, uh, no, that is not, uh, by the way, uh, someone asked, uh, Kelly asked the interracial kiss. No, that's a different thing, but that is also something that was pioneered on Star Trek. Um, uh, different episode though. Um, so what that did so well is that the, again, anyone who hasn't seen the episode, the plot is this, there are these two warring factions on a planet, uh, one, and it's got Frank Gorshin in it. One has a totally black face on the left side and totally white face on the right and then the other has a totally white face on the right side, uh, or to- on the left side, and totally black face on the right. And they hate each other because they feel like they're so different from one another. When in fact, Kirk and company are like, like guys, yeah, oh, thank you. Mike Sandoval joins in. Let that be your last battlefield is the name of the episode. Um, what's amazing about that episode is that it doesn't condemn outright racism as much as it points out the futility and the and the idiocy of racism and that is what star trek has been able to do so well the ne- next generation did it quite a few times um ds mine dared to basically let us see the point of view of of middle east terrorists which is bold it's gutsy especially for the time would be gutsy for today um so uh, Melissa writes, we so need intellectual science fiction right now because we need to recover the ability to have constructive discussion. Now, I made a point at one point saying we need to have civil discussion. And I had it very pointed out to me at one point, at that point, someone said, it's very easy for you in your heterosexual, middle to upper middle class, white Protestant Christian male to say, yes, we should be civil um, when perhaps others feel that civil discourse is not giving them what they needed. So I'm the constructive criticism or con- constructive discussion is not always civil, but it is always toward a goal, toward a better goal. And Star Trek 
you know, you know, we always joked on Trekoff about how uh, we spend our time bettering ourselves, and we said, "He he he, that sounds dirty." But in fact, um, the point of intellectual science fiction, intellectual science fiction, especially within Star Trek, is the idea of people working to become better than they are a society trying to become better than it is. So uh, these are incredible questions, guys. This is going so much better than I than I could possibly have imagined. Uh, I'm glad to see uh, um, independent filmmaker Mike Marino has joined and is watching us. And hey, man, um, good to see you. I've only got to meet this man uh, two or three times. I know he's seen my stuff. I've certainly watched his. I'm a big fan, so I'm glad to see that you're, uh, you're joining. Again, uh, we have about 15 minutes left in this live stream. Uh, if you want to hear the entire show, you can either watch the stream or it's going to be uh, posted on Trek Off probably today or tomorrow. Uh, we are doing a live recording of the Trek Off podcast right now. And in the next 15 minutes, if you have any questions about anything science fiction, Star Trek, Star Wars, movies, comics, um, anything like that that you think that I might be able to comment on, I'm looking to you to give me subjects because, as I said, my um, my very, very good friend and co-host, Alexia, is getting her, uh, her um, recording situation worked out. Um, so uh, I feel like you need to keep saying that because people said, where's Alexia? She's okay. Yeah, she's good. She's, she, I just, like, I talked to her like two weeks ago and, uh, and, and very often before that. So, uh, she is, um, she, her recording is usually set up in one room. Basically the problem is this, her recording is usually set up in one area of the house and she records, uh, into a computer instead of one room of the house. And the problem is that that room, given that it's been 90 90, 12 degrees here. Um, that room is is next to a very, very loud air conditioner. So we're trying to figure out a way for that entire apparatus to move to a place that is quieter or for maybe the sun to not keep blazing down on us. So that is uh, really the only obstacle to what we're doing right now. Um, and we'll talk more about that when she returns because I don't want to tell her story. It's not a place to tell her story. But... Um, if there are any other questions or any other comments that anybody has about science fiction or Star Trek, please, this is your time to be heard on the Trek Off podcast. Uh, I want to hear what you have to say. Uh, okay, Melissa asks, have you seen the new Lost in Space? What did you think of it? And of course, that one question is one I can't answer. I have not seen the new Lost in Space. There is a list that is growing right now of television shows that I want to watch. Uh, Black Mirror is on that list. Uh, Lost in Space is uh, is not... Uh, is not on that list. Um, or is on that list. Uh, Legion is on that list. Everything that everything that like that could be on that list is there, except for the shows that I'm staying loyal to. Specifically, the CW uh, DC shows. I'm loyal to them, and I'm continuing to watch them. And it's slow going trying to get into them because I, I loved Gotham. Gotham was amazing. We finished that. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was really good. Uh, um, we watched uh, the first season of Dirk Gently, which was insanely great. And then the summer happened and we have not been able to, um, we have not been able to get into all of the old DC shows that we skipped because we kept finding other things to watch. So on that list is Lost in Space. Uh, and I really, I kind of desperately, I, we didn't even finish the second season of X-Files. That's how far behind we are. Um, I'm, I really want to get to that show. I'm wondering, anybody who's watched it, uh, please, uh, if you're not able to get to me in this show, I'm wondering if it's good for kids because I would love to show it to my kids who are pretty savvy. They can watch, like my younger son can now watch Marvel and stuff. So that is uh, awesome. Okay, so I'm going to shout out my co-host for uh, Totally Soper. Um, that uh, a lot of people know him from that show. People have known him from his work at Disney and Universal. Everybody knows him as the 
singer, uh, co-singer in Rowan the Rose with uh, the lovely Kelly that I was just speaking of. Everybody knows him from multiple things here in the DC area. But did you know that at one point, the Monty Python and the Holy Grail derived hit musical Spamalot as it was going around the country? He was Arthur. Arthur was Arthur in Spamalot. Now, I think that if you're auditioning for Spamalot and you have a beard and you've pretty much lived at a Renaissance fair and your name is Arthur, that you maybe have a leg off, leg up over everyone. But it so happens that, you know, if, if a door opens in this world, you have to be able to perform. And man, if you have not seen Rowan the Rose perform, if you've not seen their performances at, uh, uh, or their performances either together or separately at Renaissance fairs all around the country, or if you haven't seen the work that they are doing down in Florida right now, uh, Kelly's currently singing at Disney. Um, they're amazing. But the reason I bring all this up is that uh, is that Kelly's just pointed out to me. She writes, did you know that Arthur booked the national tour of Spamalot singing the Star Trek theme? Really? Really? Now, did he sing the lyrics? Because there are lyrics to that song. And those lyrics are terrible. They're the worst lyrics Ever. It's like love. Like, I'm in space looking for love. I wish I, I should I should know those. The answer is yes. He sang the lyrics to the Star Trek theme. Good Lord. Good Lord. I am I am blown away. I in another life, Kelly, I one, I've got a pretty good singing voice. And two, I know my way around a stage. And in another life, I would have been up there with him singing. Star Wars theme, uh, good old Bill Murray, Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars. If they were our wars, they'd be in the stars. Um, I don't, I don't think that's the, the lyrics that he's saying, but they may have been. Uh, so yes, Starlight. Yes. You can get, ladies and gentlemen, you can get national tours of major Broadway productions by singing Star Trek. That is the truth. Booked period, him period, the period job period. Thank you, Star Trek. Now, not a lot of people know this, or I, I guess I, I, well, I say this, not a lot of people watching the stream may know this, but people listen to my show know because I bring it up maybe every fourth episode. Um, my first professional acting job was actually playing a Star Trek alien, a Romulan, um, for three summers at the at, at the local, um, not the local, there were five of them across the country, and I, there was one near me, the Paramount Park, um, King's Dominion. I auditioned in Georgia, and I got cast for King's Dominion. I auditioned for Shaggy, um, and they decided, Shaggy, what a great Shaggy audition. You should be a Romulan, and so I was a Romulan, and I did that for three hot, blazing summers wearing, did you know the Romulans, the next-gen area Romulans, wore not only... Um, uh, prosthetic foreheads like the They Might Be Giant song where everybody wants to wear prosthetic foreheads on their real heads but also potholders. It's potholder material that you get to join. Uh, that you get to uh, sorry, Mark joined and I was like, hey, the word join that you have to wear out there in the blazing sun. Um, uh, beyond the rim of starlight, my love is wandering starflight, the words to Star Trek. So this has been fun, guys. Um, we are drawing to a close of this live stream. Sorry about touching the mic cord. Um, and this live Trek Off podcast. Again, thank you so much to everybody who listened to me ramble today, talking about all things sci-fi. We talked about Upgrade, and we talked about independent film, talked a little bit about Venom. We talked about uh, Spam a lot. We talked about which Star Trek to watch first. We talked about um, whether or not 
current politics could be uh, involved in Star Trek. We've talked about a lot in this episode of Trek Off that we got to do live. Um, maybe we'll do more of these. I don't feel comfortable doing so many of these just solo. So I will either get some guests while Alexia uh, gets her uh, things together. But I will say this. Um, I talked to her recently and her words to me were that she misses you guys. She misses a show. Um, and she is, uh, as soon as she's able to get uh, the, the recording situation worked out, that she does absolutely intend to join. This is not by any means like, oh no, are they fizzling out? No, they're not. It was a long, hot summer, and we're going to be back as we always were, um, and that is the plan. Uh, but for right now, uh, on behalf of Alexia, um, she would say to all of you, trek off, bitches, which is what I feel wrong saying this. I'm going to say trek off, awesome people, and, uh, and that is where we're going to end. So thank you, everybody, and trek off. Hey, you know what makes us different than all those other podcasts you listen to? We have a movie. There's a movie of this podcast on Amazon Prime right now. Just go right now on Amazon Prime and go look. Check it out. Just search for it. There you go. There it is. Trek off. One word. Just search for Trek off on Amazon Prime or Amazon Instant Video if you want to rent it. If you don't have Amazon Prime as a subscription or if you want to buy the DVD, it's there on Amazon. But seriously, this podcast, you got all the way to the end. Now go watch us and give us reviews and tell the world, man, a podcast got me made into a movie, man. How cool is that? Go look it up and share it. Love you guys.